Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And I, we, I, when I went to a small little school that was about uh, a mile from the apartment complex we lived in and a little school called Holy Rosary. And I, you couldn't walk to school because although it was a four-lane access highway, it was just too dangerous to cross some of the streets. And my mother would get in the, and when it came spring, I mean, it came in the fall, this is the God's truth. And you get in the car and there's a little frost on the window turn on the windshield wiper, there'd be an oil slick. Not a joke. I have asthma and 80% of the people who, in fact, we grew up with have asthma. I just, in an apartment complex when we moved to Delaware, and just up the road to a little school I went to, Holy Rosary Grade School. And because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us, and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. People look, this is the power of branding. Use of color, typography, messaging, language. It's called marketing people. In 2009, look at the temperatures. Look, have a look. Right? Higher than 2022, but they've done it in red and fire and orange because red is way more scary than this this kind of like average dull beige color blue makes you feel safe but this blue with the contrast and the red it's on fire the country's on fire and it's actually cooler so i don't think so mate i don't fucking think so <laughs> I'll go get my tinfoil hat. Hang on. This country, George, there's a big emphasis on agriculture and how agriculture needs to cut its emissions. And I know it's an, it's an issue you feel very strongly about. You've said that agriculture is arguably the most destructive industry on earth. Explain, and, and do you still believe that, George? It's by far and away the greatest cause of habitat destruction, the greatest cause of wildlife loss, the greatest cause of extinction, greatest cause of soil loss, greatest source of freshwater use. It's one of the greatest causes of climate breakdown, um, bigger than transport, 
um, one of the primary causes of water pollution and of air pollution. So it's right at the top. Oh, and sorry, I forgot to say land use, the biggest issue of all. It's by far and away the greatest um, um, uh, form of land use that, that humans um, inflict on the planet, which means all that land is land which can't be used for wild ecosystems. And while obviously we need farming, we need to minimise those impacts. We, we need um, to act as drastically within that sector as any other sector to prevent the collapse of our life support systems. And what that means above all else is getting out of livestock farming, is really shutting down animal farming altogether because that has massively disproportionate impacts on the living planet and we need to switch towards other sources of food plant-based diets which are far more efficient far lower environmental impacts but also switch out of farming altogether to produce protein rich foods which we can do through precision fermentation brewing George, microbes i can hear farmers all over this small country of ours shocked and perhaps screaming at their televisions because they're saying are you saying all animal farming and in, in in your opinion really needs to stop Yes, it does. It really does. Um, it's a bit like leaving fossil fuels in the ground. Unless we do that, we've really got very little chance indeed of preventing this domino effect of system collapse right across Earth okay. systems, which basically makes the planet uninhabitable. So eating meat and milk and eggs is an indulgence we cannot afford. My mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? It had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time, Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Please describe America to me in one single word. What would that be if you could describe America in one single word? Well, for me, I guess home. Home. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, just a few weeks ago, this is how President Biden described America in one word. Could you please tell me what that word means? It's this one right here. Mm -hmm. Could you even say the word? Congressman, I'm not in the habit of trying to read transcriptions. I bring this up to you, sir. I bring this up to you on because you yourself questioned Donald Trump's mental state of mind in September of 2019 when you stated to CNN, I quote, if our presidency is not in good shape, then our country is not in good shape. And Mr. Secretary, I could not agree with you more. I'm going to repeat what your quote is. If our presidency is not in good shape, then our country is not in good shape. Inflation's at 9.1%. Gas prices are through the roof. Our adversaries are exploiting our weaknesses across the globe. And our southern border is non-existent. This administration puts the American people last. The left, 
and the dishonest media, which in my humble opinion is the greatest threat to this country, the dishonest media, began questioning President Trump's mental state back in February of 2017, a month into his presidency. We now have President Biden in office for 18 months, and just recently, we now see the mainstream media questioning President Biden's mental state, and for good reason. Sadly, he shakes hands with ghosts and imaginary people. He falls off bicycles. Even at the White House Easter celebration, the Easter Bunny had to guide him back into his safe place. Cue cards that say, sit here, or end of speech, which he actually states, that is, if he stays awake. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast, episode 616. It is the deuce deuce of July, year of our Lord, 2022. He got cancer. It is so hard. Because you know what comes next. This is this is okay. We we spent all this time with Trump and his mental health and physical health, and he couldn't walk down ramps and all the crazy shit we went through. And this is okay. If you watched, I put the story before, it used to be asthma. There's a loop that I saw yesterday. He said it a million times. But he was there, as we know with COVID now, and it's just because of that crazy video you saw, that lady. When he's at the end of that intro, you, you got somebody actually admitting that he's not fit for office. Uh, I, I don't understand. How can you have cancer? When does frost have oil smears? David Hearsay, also unsure what the skin cancer caused by oil slicks has to do with global warming, but I look forward to hearing it explained. It won't be. They brushed it off. The media didn't pursue Biden, I have cancer. This is red states. Media, he was referring to skin cancer. He had removed with which 50s say because he got a lot of sun. Biden, the reason I have cancer is because it rained oil down on my mom's car. She had a windshield wiper it off. Media, checkmate cons. But here's the most important thing. When do you use windshield wipers to take oil off? Anybody? I don't remember ever doing that. Windshield wiper don't even take bird shit off. How's it going to take off fucking oil? Red states again. This state's skin cancers were because of spent time in the sun and his youth. It's part of his, his, his old man stories. It all makes sense. People put up, there will be oil. There will be blood and oil. It's a joke in our family because we can never remember the name of the fucking two movies that came out at the same time that were super dark. But there will be oil and blood and oil and blood oil or something. How how can he just keep spinning tails and it's okay? He's the president of the motherfucking United States. We were told that's the most important office in the world and that Mr. Trump was fucking besmirching the office. But now it's okay. Sonny McFunny's face. Hey, because Glenn Kessler. How dumb is this tweet? Check on Biden's medical report. But before he became president, he had non-melanoma skin cancers removed. Has no one at RNC research ever had a common procedure? I have, and it wasn't from oil. So some funny fakes. Hey, Glenn, the medical report you linked to said got skin cancer from prolonged exposure to the sun. Biden's saying the cancer has been pre- present tense is from oil. 
any interesting any interest in um, clarifying and no no here's just a couple Biden says ATF nominee Steve Dentenbacher was responsible for the weather today he's Jewish Joe Biden just announced he has cancer that's why I had so damn many other people grew up with have cancer and they're saying they're taking it out of contents context. Vanessa, Biden's story of getting skin cancer from pollution to Pennsylvania 70 years ago has acquired the status of fact, no matter what the provenance. Of course. He can just lie and lie and nobody gives a fuck. I'm using a wave today. Because it's crashing down, my friends. But before we go into him got COVID, let's remember in the Wayback Machine, how Trump was treated. He's the head of the free world. So he's whatever they're giving him, they're giving him to pump him up and make him look like he ain't sick. I guess he's forgotten. He says he gets it now. You can't possibly get it. You didn't go through it. You, whatever you have or whatever you got, they got to you and they, they gave you everything you needed to do. But everybody else, the rest of the people in the United States of America, don't get to do what you do. They don't get to do what you do. And not only do people die from this and continue to die from it, you just basically said to everybody, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can do, look at what, look at me, look at what I'm doing, but we're not you. Thank God. So the treatment he's getting at taxpayer expense is privileged treatment Mm -hmm. that that the president of the United States receives. And for him to flaunt it by going out there like if he's Queen Elizabeth, waving from the motorcade and from the limousine, while so many sick people didn't get the same chance or the same treatment, didn't have 10 doctors and a team attending to his beck and call, while he he is just so (coughs) insensitive. And it angered me and angered me and angered me. Right before the show, we found out that President Biden has COVID and is experiencing mild symptoms. He's isolating at the White House. And uh, I'm sure we all wish him a speedy recovery. We do. I wish I was isolating at the White House. (laughs) Can you bring me a grilled cheese? (laughs) I mean, the good news is, is that he's double boosted. He's fully vaccinated. This is a very situation, a very different situation than when the former president had COVID before uh, he was vaccinated and, you know, um, that sort of thing Mm -hmm. where he had to be medevaced, you know, out of the White House. I I think this president is going to be just fine. Jeff, as you point out, there are a couple of things that the White House would not disclose today. Uh, including what was on his lung scans, uh, Connolly citing HIPAA regulations. But again, as you point out, the president could simply waive those and and order those uh, documents to be released if he so chose. The president clearly does not want that information out. And also, we don't have any information I know you can't see it, but this is the White House pool tape of the president. Let's play it Nats full and listen here. Not a lot to hear. He got some questions, but we we really didn't think we would hear much from him, and sure enough, we didn't. So he's going to go inside, and 
we, we have reason to believe we may see him again, and, and, and if that happens, we'll go back. I, I wanted you to finish up, if you could, Eamon, with Kayleigh McEnany. Yeah, I mean, the White House press secretary announcing today that she has tested positive for this uh, terrible disease. A number of other people inside the press office have now tested positive as well. So this is a debilitated White House that the president is returning to. The virus is running rampant throughout the president's staff. It is running rampant throughout uh, the residents at the White House, including the president and the first lady who are now uh, infected with it. This is going to be a very tricky couple of days here as the president tries to grapple with uh, running the country, running an election campaign, and trying to get his arms around the scale of the virus problem inside his own home and inside his own professional staff. Yeah, no All doubt. of that very daunting, even for somebody who is fully healthy, Chef. Let's see if we hear anything here. This is all stagecraft. Um, now that it's happened, I can tell you that we were given advance notice that the president would walk up the stairs and then they had crafted it such that he would stand there for this, for this moment, of this standing moment, where he removed his mask. There's no one around him, obviously. I'm not judging him. I'm telling you what he did. He removed his mask. Now he's saluting, obviously. And I... Amen, can you see this? I, I'm not. I, I mean, I, I, I know he, those pictures. Chef. Well, it's it's quite something. It, you you know, he he clearly wanted a moment, and maybe he's saluting the doctors and nurses who helped cared for him, or or maybe the Secret Service agents who were just with him, and in in his six foot range on on board Marine One, or maybe the staffers who were inside the White House to protect and serve him when he returns inside infected with COVID-19. Maybe he was saluting the Look, nation. We know that the president... I, don't, I don't know, but I know, you know, Eamon, he's, he's still standing there. And for a photo, for a photo opportunity, it, the last time I remember just a sort of stop and stand, that was outside the church um, after they had removed the demonstrators from in front of the White House and he held the Bible up. Uh, I don't remember the... And there you Joey Jones, I, I also remember when President Trump got COVID, when he went to Marine One, walked there to go um, to Walter Reed, best medical care in the entire world that he received, different time. Um, but I'm sure considerations like this go through the White House because things can escalate rapidly. Um, but there's one thing we can know of for sure, that President Biden has access to the foremost medical treatment, no mm -hmm. matter what his condition is. Yeah, you know, I hate to be that annoyingly optimistic guy, but there's no better time in the world to be sick than right now today, right, in, the, in history, because we have more opportunity to heal from it now than we've ever had. And uh, there's no better place than probably the White House uh, to be when you get sick. I mean, you have all the resources in front of you. Um, my experience with COVID, the twice, the two times I've had it, uh, have the first time I had a little bit of a fever, the second time I had a cold. And I think that's what everyone has yeah. been saying over and over again. Uh, so I hope and pray that that's what the president experiences. I don't want any bad health on him. I think life comes at you fast. I think when you're pretending to have cancer one day and you've got COVID the next, you might want to recalibrate how you treat things and how you talk. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't wish bad luck on him and I'm not going to say that that that's the reason why. It's just maybe it's a good opportunity for him to have a reality check. I get so frustrated with these politicians that think they have to connect themselves to every dire thing that happens in, a, in an American's life. And I think President uh, Biden, uh, his little statement on cancer yesterday just says, Proof of that, that politicians have taken that too far. So what I hope is he recovers fast. It doesn't hurt him that well, uh, that much at all. And then when he recovers, he, he reconsiders um, 
you know, just how politicians work on stuff like this. Because saying he had cancer the way he did and backtracking it the way they did, that's karma, man. You don't want to you don't want to fool with that. You don't want to put into the universe something like that. Yeah. I mean, some of these articles, I I'm not going to do a whole lot of, you know, screens today. But President Trump remained hospitalized with COVID-19 on Sunday as campaign officials continue to defend his flouting of public health guidelines, refuse to acknowledge that it could have led to his infections. In the opinion of, uh, oh, fuck, I'm, when you change everything, oh, I'm screwed up. There we go. Perfect. The president has tested positive coronavirus. So what? writes Nancy Gibbs, a professor of Harvard Kennedy School in a guest essay. If all goes well, this will be a non-story. That's the story. Really? Because I went behind the paywall for one month. Seven days following Trump's coronavirus trail. And it was actually titled, His Reckless when he first learned he had tested positive corona, Trump was already on Air Force One. Stop the president, White House physician Senator told Chief of Staff Mark Members. He just tested positive. But Meadows asserts in his book that it was too late to stop Trump, and that second rapid antigen test, apparently done using the same sample, came back negative. But under guidelines of Center's disease control, Trump should have taken more steps. Had I been there and Dr. Conley would have told me what did we have for us to see the positive test, I would have assumed it was accurate and frankly canceled everything. In fact, Trump was hospitalized at Walter Reed about a week later. From the day he tested positive until his hospitalization, Trump came in contact with more than 500 people in close proximity. Uh, let's pause that just for one second here. Let, let, let. Here's Biden. They're, you're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. If you're vaccinated and boosted, you are highly protected. So there's no excuse, no excuse for anyone being unvaccinated. This continues to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Hey, folks. Guess you heard. This morning I tested positive for COVID, but I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild, and. Uh, and I really appreciate your inquiry and your concerns. But I'm doing well. I'm getting a lot of work done. I'm going to continue to get it done. And, uh, and in the meantime, thanks for your concern. And keep the faith. It's going to be okay. He went 
to do a stupid speech because he's afraid his base is going to leave. He get contact all sorts of people. That seven-day window reveals a president and chief of staff who took a reckless and potentially dangerous approach to handling coronavirus, including Trump's own positive test. Trump and Meadows hid Trump's positive test. Do you not think that Biden hasn't already had COVID? I mean, are you stupid? Anybody? Not think he already has it. He's probably had it for some time, folks. He probably got it last year. Let's be honest. Why do you think he hid in a fucking basement? Anybody? I mean, for fuck's sake, the dude didn't see people for a year. I... I... I don't understand how we can have this much difference. How we can just ignore things and treat one president the other way. I mean, here's Yamich on this. Latest approval numbers are out. They're pretty low. He's at 31% in one of the polls that I saw just this morning, right? Um, and who he came in contact with during these travels. Um, just the other day, we're looking at uh, the governor of Rhode Island, uh, the mayor of Warwick, Rhode Island, upon his visit there, Senator Marquis, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, um, Representative Bill Keating. I mean, these are a lot of folks that he's been coming into contact with over the last couple of days. And that's why it's not necessarily surprising, his diagnosis. diagnosis. But then you've got a lot of folks that are likely worried about what this means for them going forward because, of course, of the implications of long COVID. Yeah, and think about the fact that now we have two U.S. presidents in a row that have had that have tested positive right. for COVID. And I think what we're going to see here is likely a, a different sort of approach to it. Let's remember his predecessor um, took off his mask, even though it was sort of in the period where he could have possibly infected other people. He didn't want to talk about getting vaccinated at the White House. President Biden, I suspect, just in talking to White House officials, yeah. is going to remind people, yes, I could get it, which means you can get it, which means we all have to be vigilant about this. Um, and also, of course, this diagnosis really does mean that he's going to have to really quarantine himself and stay away from people while he was under pressure to be out on the campaign trail, to be out in the world, to show that he was doing something yeah. because he has Democrats in particular who are saying there are all these sort of fires out there, abortion politics, all of these different things that are happening. And um, voters in particular during a midterm season, they need to see you out in the world. They need to make sure that you they feel like you're connected and feeling their pain. And now he's not going to be able to do that. But of course, I think most people are going to say this is a time period where he needs to rest, where he needs to sort of take this very seriously, because COVID, as someone who's had it, um, can be very wild, can be very freewheeling, can be very changing, yeah. right? You feel good on one day, and then the next day you can't get out of bed, and Exhausting. it really has to be something that you're very, very cognizant of when you're... When you're where exactly was the president infected? Where was he infected? I, I don't think we know. Um, I certainly don't know if you, if you have any thoughts I, on I, it. Look, I, I don't think that that matters, right? I think what matters is we prepared for this moment. I think what matters uh, is what Dr. Jha just laid out. Uh, if we look at where we were, were a year and a half ago, this is a president, when he walked in, one of his first priorities was to make sure we had a comprehensive plan to get people vaccinated. And so now today, look, look to today, more and more people are getting closer to having a more normal life. Uh, vaccines are available. And as Dr. Jha said, if you have not gotten 
gotten vaccinated, please do. If you have not, if you're if you have not gotten boosted, please do. Uh, these are uh, these are treatments that are going to keep you safe, and I think that's what matters here is making sure that we continue to do the work. And the good thing is that uh, the president again has been uh, uh, vaccinated and boosted. If you have it, does the president does the White House? Are there any regrets about the amount of time in sort of recent days and past weeks that we've seen him? Unmasked, shaking hands with people, hugging people, fist bumping, in close contact with crowds. In retrospect, was he too casual? No. I mean, look, I, I, I look at this. Is I've said this before from this podium. We have an incredibly contagious variant, um, and we've had a protocol that I think has done a very good job protecting the president. The most important part of that protocol, by the way, is making sure that he was up to date on his vaccines and we had access to treatments. Um, the president wants to get out there and, and be with and meet American people uh, and engage. And uh, and we always said that this was a possibility. I think I even said it from this stage that this was a possibility. Um, and uh, I think that that the protocols have have kept him from getting infected. And and but we knew that this was a possibility with this incredibly contagious variant. The good news is, and and this was always the point. The good news is. He is, his immune system is very well protected, given the, the four vaccine shots he's gotten. He's getting treatment. Uh, he has mild symptoms. No, th there's no difference. Yeah, Meech. And, oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, here's just a quick one. Uh, President Biden is uh, 79, breaking President Biden's test positive for COVID. He's experiencing mild systems, and he's taken Paxlovid. Now, do you remember that they said he shouldn't be taking Trump, shouldn't be taking these? They're not certified. Yada, fucking yada. Yeah, all that stuff. It was kind of treated like motherfucking Joe Rogan. President Biden's depositive. It was NBC thing. They won't let me download it. It's all bullshit. And then you get into, really, I mean, here, here's the bread and potato. It's insane. The people Trump came home to. It is reckless. Trump placing White House staff at risk of COVID-19. But but the balcony was just... Oh, my God. End of days. They called him a bastard on CNN. Shim Horn, PBS. Is there fear and anger in the White House because President Biden has COVID? Trump's turn the White House sparks fear and anger from residents. Business Insider was the It's Insane. Los Angeles Time. Trump's dangerous Sunday drive-by recall the madness of a monarch. Uh, CNN Business. It's reckless out there, out here. White House reporters are furious. After land D.C. falling speech yesterday, a massless Joe Biden spent several minutes speaking face-to-face -face with reporters. Trump's return means more anxiety for White House reporters. It's all about their reporters. It's all about the reporters. Those poor fucking reporters. Oh. Oh, it's so bad. And then, he, you know, I played the video. I'm keeping busy. Well, the cameraman didn't have a mask on and you didn't have a fucking mask on. So what the fuck are we doing? We're not going to call him a bastard? Contract tracing's not important? Jill Biden. He's doing fine. Right, let me play that. Here's another half-ass fucking media. Fucking cock-sucking hypocrites. 
Uh, and, and we have some sound in from Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady, who we showed you just moments ago, uh, continuing because she tested negative her, her travels today in Detroit. She was in a classroom and she just addressed this news about the president contracting COVID-19. Let's listen to her. My husband tested positive for COVID. I talked to him just a few minutes ago. He's doing fine. He's feeling good. Uh, I tested negative this morning. I am going to keep my schedule. I am, according to CDC guidelines, I am keeping masks. And so um, I'd like to go in and see the program here. Learning loss as an educator means a lot to me. So thank you for um, for being here today. Thank you for coming Thanks. over to come. Dr. Biden, thank you. Guys. How are you doing? Dr. You must be no, concerned. Thank Dr. You. Biden. I don't remember talking to Melania. I just don't remember any of this. I mean, sorry, I was making sure I didn't have anything important. I hate when people do that. Here's all the people he came in contact with, but we're not going to make a big deal out of it because he's Biden. He's he's a good guy. He, he's just a good guy. All around great guy. So in their little article, Trump, uh, Trump and Meadows hid Trump's positive test, not just in the public, but also from the inner circle and from his top public health officials. He took part in a debate with Democratic rival Joe Biden three days later, never relieving the t revealing the test. And Trump took no extra precautions, just as mask wearing or social distancing to protect those who contrast the days for the positive test. And that's what Biden did. Also, by the end of October, more than two dozen people in Trump's over would test positive. It would make more sense that you would test positive than a lot of patients we see hospitalized end up hospitalized on day 10 or that second week, said an expert. Um, on the return trip home, Trump ventured back to press cabin unmasked, where he spoke with the media for only 10 minutes. One of the reporters in Air Force One that day, Michael Scheer of New York Times, would test positive for coronavirus less than a week later. Two other members of the White House press corps tested positive the same day as Scheer reported it. Oh, uh, so uh, let, let's look at the, the facts of the matter. The man said he would end, and I'm not going to play it because you heard it. I'm going to end COVID. COVID go bye-bye. The vaccines, you're not going to get it. He said that numerous times. And let's just look at the simple fact that everybody in his staff has gotten COVID. Press secretary gave it to other press experts, but they only, it was a byline. It wasn't a main story. And this is happening, not to put a tinfoil hat on, CDC expert basis for school mask mandates is infuriating. They want to go back and put masks back on because we got a voting. We got voting coming up. Simultaneously, writing John Harwood, Biden's age is not a problem. At 7 a.m., Joan Biden's oldest president of American history. And to hear recent political chatter, you might consider the two facts directly related. Adversaries cast Biden as too feeble for the demands of Oval Office. Yet, that represents Republican opportunism and Democratic nervousness before November's elections, rather than any plausible assessment of cause and effect. Without doubt, Biden's age complicates his hope of winning another term. Consider the problems which began to mushroom a year ago when most Americans still approved job performance. Blah, 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 blah. In recent months, surging inflation. Blah, 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 blah. Let's get to the bottom where he says it doesn't matter. 
And voters have good reasons to care. With every passing year, every healthy 80-something faces elevated risk. But a cursory glance at the political conditions in other countries makes plain that, at least for now, Biden's physical condition does not explain his political condition. Mayor Crohn's 44 and Canadian Prime Minister's 50 rank among the fittest, most vibrant head states in the world. Recent measures in their popularity match Biden's standing. It's just the people. It's your fault. So they rushed it out. I watched yesterday. It was number one on Google on your phone. And by the time I went to bed, it was number nine. Just about to go on the second page. And I guarantee if I went right now. It's gone. It's completely gone. It is not on Google at all for your stories. It just kept marching down last night. And it's anti-gun stuff, some good Democrat gun arguing that we'll see later in the show. And I am all the way down, let's see, page two. It's not even on page two. I said that's what they do. Town Hall, Biden's doctor predict that he will respond favorably to have tested positive for COVID because it's fully vaccinated and twice boosted. Biden previously so doubt about these vaccines because they were born from Trump's Operation War Street. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. I'm not being, I'm not being... CNN, a timeline of Trump's battle with COVID. Axios, Trump's infection becomes biggest election storyline because you wanted to make it one. Uh, This is uh, grid news. Accept cookies. Get the fuck on my screen. President Biden's COVID diagnosis is a case study in what it means to be vaccinated, boosted, and have access to Plaxlovid, which was stupid back in the day. Trump's doctor says there's no actively replicating virus, so is he COVID-free? Politico, how Biden's COVID case compares to Trump. Biden, who is twice boosted and has already started Plaxlovid, is experiencing mild systems, according to to the White House, and this entire article is, well, it doesn't compare, because Trump's bad and Biden's good. Pence texts negative for coronavirus at Trump's positive case. They showed a picture of her flying, waving as he went to the hospital. Jennifer Rubin smartly done to show him jocular. Jocular. And it comes on the heel of this good Glenn Re- Greenwald uh, article saying they haven't learned. I would like to note that shortly before the 2020 election, I guess I can go out of my, I'm riding the wave. Woo, yeah, baby. No, I guess we're not riding the wave. I'd like to note that shortly before the 2020 election, numerous large media outlets rat- ratified the CIA lie that the documents on Hunter Biden's were Russian disinformation. Even today, after New York Times and Washington Post both authenticated them, not one has retracted it. Uh, beyond the revolting and steadfast refusal of even one of these outlets to retract the 
pre-election lie or even account for what they did, a gigantic scandal. The Guardian to this very day has no article up which anyone knows it's a lie. I stopped practicing law to do journalism because I really believe journalism is virtuous, noble, necessary. The media corporations have destroyed it. These are not mistakes. They are lies, and they are lies they refuse to admit. Look at this. When journalists have a book to sell, Katie Turr says they admit the public no longer trusts them. But one thing they never do is engage in self-reflection acts. Why? Well, it's pretty obvious. It's the way they cover everything. This very week before I was even going to talk about this shit, we had the staged arrest of Democrats. of Congress arrested today during a protest near the U.S. Supreme Court. Capitol Police had warned they would arrest those who did not listen to the warnings to stop blocking traffic there. Among those arrested, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Alma Adams of North Carolina, and New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who appeared to be handcuffed, but was, was not. No lawmakers were handcuffed. They were just escorted away. Police say 17 lawmakers were among the people more than a dozen House Democrats were arrested outside the U.S. Supreme Court while protesting the court's ruling last month overturning the landmark Roe v. Wade decision. U.S. Capitol Police say the lawmakers were among 35 people detained yesterday afternoon for blocking a street in front of the high court building. With us right now, one of the lawmakers who was arrested yesterday, California Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs. Congresswoman, thanks for being with us. Why did you and your colleagues decide to go out and commit civil disobedience, as you put it? You know, for me, uh, representing California, where I'm proud to still have the right to access an abortion for now, uh, I felt like it was really important for me to go out and show that, that we are not backing down and we're not going to stop fighting until every person across this country has that same right to access abortion. And you know, this fight is currently being fought on people's bodies across this country. We are hearing horrific stories of people in doctor's offices, emergency rooms who can't get the care that they need. And so it only felt right Right? for those of us who are in Congress, for those of us who have power, to put our bodies on the line to fight and protect for those who can't do that right now. Is this the first time that you've been arrested for doing something like this? And, and would you be willing to do it again if you had to? 
It was my first time. I got some very angry text messages from my parents after. Um, but look, I think that we are in an incredibly important fight about the fundamental rights of at least half of our population. And even those of us who are not currently impacted because we do live in blue states, that right is not guaranteed if there's a federal abortion ban. And we know all of us are impacted. And so I think it's important that we all do everything we can to fight and get back these rights that, you know, people. Yesterday, 17 members of Congress were arrested for protesting for abortion rights. And with me now is one of those lawmakers that you see there front and center, New York Democratic Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. She's also co-sponsor of that contraception legislation. So, Congresswoman, thanks for being with us. Why was it important Thank you for, for you me, to protest yesterday? Well, uh, I, I, uh, it, we were protesting the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I would say that... Uh, Women don't have any democracy. There is no democracy unless we can make decisions over our own bodies, including health care and reproductive health care. I represent a, a state where abortion rights are protected and respected, but 33 million American women are about to lose those rights or already have lost those rights. The least that we could do is put our own bodies on the line to protest what is happening. Many of us were there protesting uh, and uh, some of us were arrested. I want to talk to you about some of the work that you and your colleagues are also trying to do, specifically that contraception bill. What would it do? Well, as you know, uh, Thomas said, we're not finished. We're going after uh, a national abortion ban. We're going after contraception and gay marriage. Uh, so we are acting to protect American families, American women. The bill would create a law, a law saying that right, the right to contraception is a law in our country and that it can be enforced with a right to sue by individuals and providers if anyone tries to stop that right, making sure that birth birth control is available and accessible to American women. What happens, uh, Congresswoman, when you guys uh, reach roadblocks in the Senate? W what then can you do? You just never give up. Change doesn't come easily, as you know, Lindsay, but it will come if you never give up. We have already uh, right passed bills three or four times and sent them to the Senate over and over again, making the point that we want this to happen. We want to vote in the Senate so that when we go out to the elections and midterms, voters can hold their representatives accountable, those who do not support the right of women to make decisions about their own health care, those who do not support the right of women to have access to birth control. We want votes on those bills. We want to hold these people accountable in elections. We want to elect pro-choice women and like-minded men who will come to Congress and fight, fight strongly and uh, hard to bring this change. Congresswoman, do you have any plans? Uh, we were speaking to one of your colleagues in our last hour. She called it civil disobedience. Do you have any other plans to further protest or bring attention to this issue? Of course. Stay tuned. <laughs> Anything else you can say? Well, we, we're planning. We're not giving up. And we want what we call the drumbeat, raising the attention, showing that we're fighting, showing what's at stake. Uh, many American women are in disbelief. They're angry. They're frightened. They don't understand what's happening. They cannot believe that 50 years of precedent, which every Supreme Court justice pledges they want to uphold, has been overturned. Editor-in-chief of Crooked Media, Brian Butler, writes about 
this risky strategy. In a new piece for the New York Times, he joins us now. And Brian, I want to read some of what you wrote about this tactic. Uh, you hone in on the examples of extreme Republican candidates in Arizona and Pennsylvania being amplified by the Democrats. Quote, if in some appalling hiccup, the current Democratic plan fails and Ms. Lake and Mr. Mastriano are elected, Democrats might be able to say they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to empower two Republicans who went on to overturn the will of the people in the 2024 presidential election. Given that the Democrats already have a strong message heading into the midterms, there's no need for the party to pull tricks in Republican primaries, and there's certainly no need to pivot away from the from lurid themes like the attempted coup of last winter to milk toast counterproductive appeals about kitchen table issues all the democrats have to do is tell the truth whether they play a hand in selecting their opponents or not democrats are blessed at a time of great national disquiet to be running against a party that has reorganized itself around lying cheating and corruption i do think uh brian i agree with you about this risk I, d I don't think it's honest either, and we really do want to make a differentiation between Democrats and Republicans, and I'm sorry, good and evil at this point. Well, I, I don't think that there's any way really practically for Democrats to remain neutral in any race, even in races in Arizona and Pennsylvania, uh, where the, the outcomes could be, could be so momentous. They're going to have to comment on the things that Doug Mastriano and Carrie Lake say, and that was true before mm -hmm. Doug Mastriano's primary. It's still true in Arizona today. And when they comment on the things that Carrie Lake has to say, uh, her call to, to imprison her opponent, a lot of Republican voters are unfortunately going to hear that and they're going to think that that's a, a, a good reason to vote for her. So there's no way to, to affect neutrality here. But what I do think there is a way to what Democrats can do is, is tell a consistent story of starting in the primary and going through the general election about what, what it is about candidates like Lake and Mastriano that is extra dangerous, especially dangerous. Uh, and that story doesn't have to change. It doesn't have to be a coy game where you whisper to conservative voters during the primary that this is a really good person and then pivot in the general election to a different message about infrastructure or any other kitchen table issue. Look at the face. I could play a whole bunch of faces and shit for this. It's, it's all fucking lie. It's all fucking lie. Just everything was a fucking lie. AOC and 17 members of Congress of protest. We we're finding out that a dark money group paid them to do it or asked them to do it. So they went. And as you can see in the videos, they never were handcuffed. It was all fake. It was all fun and games. It is just because they're so crazy about abortion. They're so over the fucking top. The Nets didn't talk about it. Nothing. They ignore the phoness of it. That it's just fake. It was just a photo op. Carol Maloney says she and our other bodies put our bodies on the line. And you heard Mika going, oh, it's, it's, they're good. Republicans are evil. And in the opening there, you heard when I played fucking Johnny Joni, Jimmy Jones. He's a bad person because he said that. 
Would you get arrested if you had to? Multiple members of Congress, including AOC, being arrested by Capitol Police for blocking traffic outside the Supreme Court. Some of the members, and they list them. The media listed them all. They all got a cookie for this. It was good work. But it was fake. It was just all fake. AOC, there's some jokes. Prison changed me. Ma'am, you didn't go to prison. I still experienced what it was like to be arrested. Ma'am, you weren't arrested. I had handcuffs on. Ma'am, you weren't handcuffed. Why do you want, what, do you want to date me? Because that's how they ask. Sarah Rara, white women getting arrested with their hair just so the right light and camera rolling, white arrest privilege may just be mostly toxic. And it's a picture that I played of her flipping her hair and it was perfect. In lieu of mugshots, member of Congress arrested are being asked to pose with an officer and their ID for photo. Many are treated like a fun celebration, selfies with a friendly officer. Here's Representative Kay Clark. They got a $50 ticket that they won't pay. All charges will be dropped, and it's just bullshit. ABC, well, I got to post this. I forgot to grab it. The subtle biases. They literally make it look like they're heroic, but it was all fake. Cori Bush did hers, and they all got their fists up. We're so brave. We're so brave. Spectator, the squad's phony arrest, agitprop. AOC still is more interesting in Instagram than in legislating, which is so fucking true. AOC defends her honor, gives Representative Nancy Mace a totally believable explanation as to why she was wearing fake handcuffs. Nancy Mace, politics has become performative art, so of course AOC fakes being handcuffed. Performance is not policy is the name of the game here. No faking here, AOC says. Putting your hands behind your back is the best practice while detained. Handcuffs are not to avoid escalating charges like resisting arrest. But given how you lied about a fellow rape survivor for points, as you put it to me, I don't expect much else from you. People go, that's all you can come with? Along other members of Congress outside the rest. This is the arrest paperwork. This is a ticket in lieu of arrest. So again, AOC is exaggerating the truth. And it's a $50 fine. I won't post it. It's what we expect. Washington Examiner. AOC and Ilhan Omar coordinated Supreme Court arrest stunt with Soros-funded dark money group. Um... Rev, outside the Supreme Court, uh, billionaire uh, getting arrested was the whole point of the stunt. AOC said in an Instagram post on Tuesday, she said organizers of the Center for Popular Democracy Action Fund arranged it. They're just obsessed with abortion. So here's your jerk off of the week. Miami politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. It, to, to May's point, to Dr. Winchester's point, Arthur Kaplan, a consequence of how these laws are written is that even 
some women with unviable pregnancies, whether it be miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies, they're struggling to receive treatment in some states. A doctor's fearing prosecution, right, even though those fetuses cannot live. Uh, they will not live. Is this a new reality post, Roe? And I just wonder what the, what the ethical issues are for doctors who deny care to women like that. Well, look, doctors take an oath to take care of their patients and protect their lives, Jim. And you can't be in a situation where a mother's health is at risk, that she might die, particularly in situations where there's a non-viable fetus. It's flat out unethical. And doctors' codes of ethics, nurses' codes of ethics make it clear they have to protect the life of the mother. I'll also add, when states go out and say mm -hmm. that they're going to restrict access to abortion for minors, that is morally repugnant. A minor can't consent. Most minors who become pregnant, minor children, they're going to be the victims of rape or forced coercive sex. It's yeah. dangerous for many of them to carry a pregnancy. Just outright wrong. They say that a good guy with a gun can control a bad guy with a gun. Well, we saw in Ovalde that that's not true. And you saw it in Buffalo. Yes, we saw it yeah. in Buffalo. In, but we in, saw that in, it is true in, in Indiana. It was true in Indiana. Um, that was a lucky moment. And you know what? I feel like this. If you're a good guy with a gun, you should not object to background checks or, uh, yes. or licensing or, uh, you know, a limitation on military-style weapons mm -hmm. that kill thousands at once or hundreds at once so why can't they just pull that off but with this good samaritan thing listen i was trained when i was at the justice department in firearms and i was trained in defensive firearm training mm -hmm. it is very hard to hit a moving target it is hard for people that are trained to hit a moving target it is very lucky um, that that good samaritan hit that moving target in, in, in that way and he wasn't he had a gun permit but he wasn't supposed to be in the mall with a gun so he broke the he law the even AR though he was a, even though he was a, a, a good so the samaritan law, the law of indiana is different than the law of the mall of simon malls and i yeah. would say that takes precedence when you save a life well well, well he saved a life but it is all theater and Americans should really be paying attention because these... I'm about to play energy once again. I got in this huge argument with um, a bunch of libs over this tweet. Chase and I bought our first plug-in hybrid electric vehicle years ago. Used it. Cost us about 14000 we charged it through a regular wall plug in our garage in South Bend, and own, owning it meant that we only needed gas for longer road trips. I said, well, most importantly, that no longer applies because the batteries will cost way more money than you're laying on to. The grid can't handle all this shit, and you can't drive farther than 300 miles, and of course, these people lost it, that he is the smartest person ever. But it's their constant push to ensure you and I have to walk. I'm still astonished that, that some folks, uh, and, and I, I felt this, I was testifying in Congress yesterday, um, some folks seem to really uh, struggle to let go of the status quo. Of course, the more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. So it's about making 
a choice between what is the short term and the medium term so that we can make sure we have enough oil and gas to support us through the transition? And what are the kind of steps that we don't want the oil and gas industry to take that would have long-term consequences when we don't want uh, new major projects that would take 20, 30 years to, to become profitable? So we have to make that differentiation to make sure that the American consumer has what it needs to grow, to gl grow our economy and the global economy but not take steps and endanger the climate uh, work that we're trying to do to make sure that we're on a better footing to accelerate the transition. Well, we've now seen gas prices fall for 34 straight days. They're down about 50 cents. Uh, that's positive. What it means is that for a typical household, you're probably generating savings about $50 a month. Uh, He's going to make it clear that just because Congress couldn't get it done, he is going to move forward with every power available to him to make the change in the shift to clean energy. And Ginger, while we have you, I know you and the team have been studying these summer high temperatures going back for a century in our country. I was going to ask if you could just show us just the last 50 years what the record books show as far as summer highs recorded here in the U.S. and what you've seen, a clear trend. Sure, David, I'll take you straight to the data. So you're looking first at the map that says 1961 to 1990. These are 30-year averages compared to the 20th century. So you see some blue on the map. Over the 50 years of this time lapse, as we take the 30-year averages up, you see a rapid rise in temperature across the entire nation. There are very few cooler spots than average at all. And what this means, and I know you're looking at me now and saying, okay, so you showed us 50 years. Our Earth is way older than this, and we've been way hotter than this. And that's true. However, those came with other signals and indicators like Earth's orbit or proximity to the sun. What we have right now, scientists say, the attribution to this rapid rise in temperatures, greenhouse gas emissions. It's us, David. Which is why it's really important we report on it both here in the U.S. and across the globe and what we're seeing in Europe as well, Ginger. Is this an example of climate change impacting the, the, the weather pattern? We're certainly seeing more extreme weather uh, due to climate change. This drought caused us to go into summer much earlier than we normally see. Britain's looking for a break had almost nowhere to go. Just about three of every 100 homes here have air conditioning. Environmental experts say it's more proof climate change is at our doorstep. Climate change isn't just a a thing over there, it's here. Yes, I mean, you, we used to look at polar bears and then we used to say, this is about our children and our grandchildren. This isn't, this is us, this is here, this is now. Good evening, everyone. This is what scientists have been telling us the future looks like, except it is now. Temperatures far above what was once considered the summer norm, inflicting misery and creating a health danger for millions living under record heat from California to Western Europe as well as parts of Asia and Africa. In this country, the torrid conditions setting more new records. Dallas hitting 109, as did Oklahoma City. Dodge City, Kansas setting a new record at 107. Across the pond, the usually temperate UK hitting an all-time. Many also still have excess savings. This is one of the things that's helping uh, to fuel uh, consumer spending, which again is 70% of our economy. So I think if you look at the strength of the current economy, if you look at the strength of the labor market, if you look at the strength of consumer spending, you would conclude that where we are right now uh, remains uh, solidly within expansion. The average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses 
1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it will well, let be me help less you. Let me help you overall. with that first before we go on, because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be? So if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of a 50 percent adoption instead of 100 percent adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. They truly want to push this shit, and it's just not political. They are in the cult. They believe. We're going to push as far as we can with regulation. If you look at the strength of the current economy, you would conclude that where we are right now means solidly with an expansion. And, and it's like these they get up there, and they're not in the real world. They're not speaking anything that makes fucking sense because where we are saying everything sucks they're actually saying uh brian deese on gas prices super saying about 50 dollars a month are where do you live what, what earth are you on no people aren't saving shit it's still in the food prices. It's still in every commodity you need to live is affected by fuel that you don't want to improve. And simultaneously, while you're doing the two-step of fake arrest and green new craziness, they're still trying to take guns and showing they know nothing about guns. There's a reason that we never see the images after a mass shooting. There's a reason that the screams of little boys and little girls in Uvalde were edited out of the video that everyone in this room has surely seen. I've spoken to doctors throughout the years who have spent time in emergency rooms. Our handguns, they tell me, often create small and very subtle wounds, wounds that can even be difficult to find. Assault weapons are a completely different story. When the call comes into the hospital, doctors are told to prepare for a mass casualty, casualty event. Nurses are asked to find every gurney and wheelchair that they can find. The medical staff call every surgeon that they can contact. The dead and the dying arrive in waves. Doctors assign the wounded a color. Green means flesh wound. These patients will survive without treatment. Yellow means a bullet in the chest and they could die within the hour. Red means these children or churchgoers or parents or patrons have only minutes to live. The trauma surgeons see them first. Black means that there's no longer a reason to spend effort or resources on the corpse coming through the doors. Floors in these hospitals begin to look more like a battlefield. Doctors turned Army medics doing everything they can to stop the bleeding and to remove bullets and body parts that will keep patients alive. The doctors must deal ceaselessly with the pain and panic of the frightened victims, many of them terrified 
at the blood on their clothes, praying to their God that they will not die. Like many things, there's a design. There's a purposeful design. Well, for the assault weapon, the design is to kill a lot of human beings quickly. There is no reason for weapons of war on the streets of America. Reiterating the points of mass shooters in your manifesto. The shooter in my high school, anti-Semitic, anti-black, and racist. The shooter in El Paso described it as an invasion. Guess what? Those guns are coming from the United States of America. They are coming from Mexico. They are not coming from Mexico. You are reiterating the points of a mass shooter, sir. Sir, you are perpetuating this violence. You need to realize this is not the house. A Democrat or Republican. But I want to speak on behalf of state of Indiana. It is a common use weapon to protect. And as a mother of two daughters, as a woman, I truly believe that is infringement of my rights. And I want to make sure that my children, my great children, and grandchildren and children of my constituents have the same rights to protect them. And I think we need to remind us what really happened in countries like Ukraine right now, that a lot of people probably would love to have something, you know, to protect themselves. And we know why we won our war, you know, against kings and queens and became a republic because our American people have these rights. If you don't have the rights and you have a police state, or you can have bandits running the show. And I think that is very dangerous. This is, gives me a freedom as a woman. Big city mayors from around the country are gathering today at Gracie Mansion here in New York for a summit on preventing gun violence. Mayor Adams, let's start with you. You've got 15 mayors coming together all, to, all in. What do you all hope to accomplish? Well, we have clearly identified that we're dealing with the same problem, a $9 billion industry that their profits are turning pain into our communities. And so we want to mobilize, strategize, learn from each other and see best practices. We were successful in decreasing uh, shootings and homicides in the city, uh, but we have a long way to go. And the goal is to use a centralized database to show where guns are coming from, who are the manufacturers. Five manufacturers uh, in this country are producing over 50% of the crime, the guns that are using crimes. We must learn from each other. United as mayors, uh, we can send a strong mes message on the national level and the state level that we have to stop this senseless overproliferation of guns. Half the guns coming from just five manufacturers. It's a pretty stunning statistic right there, Mayor Jones. But we also know that there are hundreds of millions of guns in circulation. So will the focus on gun manufacturers, lawsuits on gun manufacturers really make a difference? Well, if this were any other industry that was as deadly, then the government would, all, would have already acted to make sure that we got rid of whatever was killing our, our citizens. Let's make sure we expand on the number of ATF agents. Uh, let's do information sharing for the first time. This database that we're going to use of where guns are coming from, we're encouraging others uh, to share this information. And then let's think differently. Let's get that gun before it hits our streets. 
And that is one of the most important things that we want to accomplish. And ATF could be a real information sharing. Of that one lady sums it up. We just want to protect ourselves. But you guys just don't want us to do anything because you're so entwined with Dems. You were just, oh, my God. We have, here's some special ones. Here's the COVID on CNN from last night where they simultaneously trash Trump and call for national mass mandates. We need to have a more aggressive stance and, and bring masks back to the United States. I'll point out that you know, Japan has been in the news recently uh, because of the tragic uh, uh, death of the former uh, prime minister. But Japan is a country of 140 million people. That's about 40% the size of the United States. But they've, they've had 30,000 deaths. So it's a country 40% the size of the United States with only 3% of the mortality for COVID. And that's because that country has essentially universal masking. Yeah. They haven't fought it. They, they continue to have that. And we need to get back to that kind of proactive mitigation in this country. But what Dr. Reiner, Caitlin, just described in Japan will not happen in America. That is not the reality. And this discussion now uh, among municipalities and cities about do we, you know, reinstitute mask mandates indoors, this really comes to the fore again. I commend the White House for being so transparent. There's certainly a big difference between how they're responding now versus with former President Trump. They also seem determined, Nia, to show that this is not the Trump White House, right. where it was hard to get information, and we got conflicting information about Donald Trump's COVID case early on. Very quickly, a memo uh, from the White House physician to the White House press secretary saying, here's what we know. Uh, Dr. Jha, the COVID coordinator, saw Jeremy Diamond, our correspondent there, ran into him. He said, the president does not have a fever, just has a runny nose, and they're going to have doctors at the briefing later today that they seem determined to not only give the president saying I'm feeling fine but to give you the medical information to back it up. That's right very different from what we saw from the Trump White House I think he tweeted himself at 1 a.m. Uh, in the morning that he had COVID uh, went through all sorts of theatrics of projecting strength uh, riding in the uh, his presidential uh, motorcade with his I think his mask was off and then arriving at the White House and ripping his mask off in dramatic fashion. Of course, why wouldn't you make it about Trump? It's always about Trump. Here's a couple. Uh, Dems finally admitting they're screwing. All right, let's just do January 6th. January 6th, across the board, they still think this is going to work. No person is above the law in this country. Nothing stops us. No per I don't know how to maybe I'll say that again. No person is above the law in this country. I can't say it any more clearly than that. All, I agree with you, and I appreciate all of that, and that the DOJ has to take its time to build its case. All due respect to Merrick Garland, that is not true. Donald Trump, today, where we sit right now, is above the law. Donald Trump has been charged with nothing. Uh, one legal watchdog has said that there are at least 48 potential crimes committed by Donald Trump over the course of his presidency or while he was campaigning. He has not been charged for any allegations of sexual assault, um, using the government to punish his opponents, anything in connection with January 6th, meddling in elections. Um, and look, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be super, super hyper uber fair, nor has Bill Clinton. He is not alone as being a powerful man who has been thus far above the law. I'm not a legal analyst, nor a scholar of the law. I'm a normal person. And I think if you're a normal person, 
with a re you know some some reason, um, you think, well, Donald Trump has been above the law. It's been 18 months since the well, insurrection. But he was trying to be very clear yesterday with regard to at least criminal liability for over trying to overturn an but election. But even Donald Trump knows. Donald Trump is telling people in his inner circle he wants this to run point. again. This is the Because point. he knows the presidency will be a shield from indictments no, and jail he, time. He, he, what, what he's thinking is that he can do brush back pitch if he runs and say, look, I'm, I'm engaged in the political process again. Therefore, any, uh, you know, indictments are, are therefore political. He might Lisa, be right. Lisa Monaco, the Justice Department, has tried to push back on that saying. The Post says the committee plans to drive home a key point. Not only did Trump allegedly do nothing to stop the violence, he also sat back and enjoyed watching it. Joining us now, former U.S. Attorney Barbara McQuaid. And Barbara, we do want to ask you about the Secret Service situation. But first, give us a preview of what you expect to see tonight and what you've seen so far. Does any of it lead to something beyond the hearings? Yes, so tonight I think this three hours of inaction is going to be very important to the case because unlike most of us who have no duty uh, to get involved when there's a crime occurring, average citizens don't, the president does as the commander-in-chief of our armed forces who has the duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, his inaction can actually amount to a crime. So if people died because he was failing to exercise due care while he was aware that violence was occurring at the Capitol, that could cause legal liability for him, Mike Mika, even beyond what's going on at the committee, at the Department of Justice. I imagine they're looking at things like conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstruction of an official proceeding. But this could lend evidence to even charges of manslaughter under federal law. A death, even an unintended death that occurs on federal property can be charged as a manslaughter. And for someone like a president who has an affirmative duty to intervene, his failure to call up the National Guard uh, or to mm. even go on video or to tweet that they should stop could be the kind of omission that could amount to manslaughter. Uh, and I must say, yesterday, um, I, I, was, I was quite critical of the attorney general. And even before I saw this tape, I read uh, a, a, an article in Lawfare by Ben Wittes. And by the end of that, I, I felt badly about uh, about uh, screaming from the cheap seats uh, about what a, what an attorney general was doing in a federal investigation. Ben Wittes yesterday uh, was right that people like me uh, should not criticize the attorney general prematurely. Federal investigations are long, laborious efforts, uh, and given the gravity of a possible prosecution of a former president. Uh, the pref, pref, you know, the pros of the DOJ, the FBI need to move with great caution. I agree with them, even while they're pursuing justice. I will say uh, it's very easy for me. It's very easy for uh, other commentators. It's very easy for Democratic politicians. It's very easy for people on Twitter to criticize uh, Merrick Garland and federal prosecutors. But again, Jonathan O'Meara, and I'm sure Barbara can underline this, uh, sometimes federal investigations take a very, very long time. You had the Democratic candidate for governor, Jonathan, um, in the state of Florida, who almost beat Ron DeSantis. I uh, was just recently charged in a federal investigation. I think that took five, I don't know, four, five, six years for that investigation to run its course. There are other investigations of politicians and people are saying, well, what's going on in that investigation? Why is it taking so long? Federal investigations are long, 
laborious efforts. They want to make sure they get everything right. So, uh, I mean, it would be um, obviously disturbing. They destroyed the records uh, of, of, of the, the people who work for the United States government that was around the guy that was running a fascist takeover of the United States government to get their text messages, to get the information on the inside, what was going on while this fascist attempt to overthrow American democracy uh, was playing out. This is, this is just it, on its face, it's, it's bad faith. And I can't believe if they're ignoring uh, a, a request from Congress, I can't believe if they're destroying documents despite what an inspector general is asking, that there aren't criminal charges attached to this. Joe, I'm just not going to dismiss at hand, though, the possibility that the government is just completely broken and can't do anything right here. You look at just how <laughs> bumbling and idiot, you know, this is just idiocracy, that a couple of days after something as huge as January 6th, that they go ahead with this planned migration. And it really just seems like utter stupidity and the incompetence of a government bureaucracy. On January 6th, Donald Trump attempted a fascist takeover of American democracy. On January 6th, Secret Service members were ordered by him to go up to the Capitol so he could take part in a fascist takeover of American democracy. And now, of course, the, the Trumpers who, who he, he put in place in the Secret Service to politicize the Secret Service, as Washington Post Carol Lenning reports all the time, now they're denying it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, they've lied about so many other things in the past for Donald Trump. So, no, everybody knows they're lying. But now we're supposed to think that when we have text messages that would back this up from the Secret Service, we're supposed to think it was just a bureaucratic snafu. No, sorry, it doesn't work that no. way. It's like the days after Pearl Harbor, uh, the, the, the people running radar of burning all their documents yeah, uh, at, right. at, 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 at the base there. No, nobody would believe that was a bureaucratic snafu. It was the destruction of documents that could help us better understand what unfolded as a president who had been defeated at the polls was attempting a fascist takeover of American it democracy. Was having a, yeah. uh, you know, you know, Mika, I just don't believe it's not malicious. I, 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 it is malicious. Nobody's that stupid, not even bureaucrats uh, that, that are the worst of the worst uh, are that stupid. Um, and, and especially when I you have books that have been written about how Donald Trump politicized the Secret Service. Hey, Merritt, wake up. No, they're, they're, Merrick Garland, wake up. Wake up. Hey, Merritt, wake up. Investigate this cover-up. Let me put it in stark terms for you in case you're afraid to break Marcus of Queensberry rules in boxing. There was an attempted fascist overthrow of American democracy. The people that taxpayers pay to protect the presidency, not Donald Trump, but the presidency, they destroyed text messages that would have taken us to the heart of the fascist conspiracy 
to overthrow American democracy. This isn't a normal day at the office, Merritt. This isn't a normal day at the office for, for, for uh, the head of the DHS. This is a cover-up of a fascist takeover of American democracy that failed. If, 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 if Trump's lackeys inside the Secret Service keep lying, they need, to be, they, need, they need to be charged with perjury, they need to be convicted, they need to be thrown in jail. If they're not going to help Americans get to the bottom of this fascist overthrow of American democracy that failed. Coming up it's on ridiculous. Morning Joe, we have much more related to the January 6th investigation, including what we can expect. And there's from the fascist, here. by the way. There's the fascist who tried to overthrow American democracy. And doesn't care who loses their job. And, and doesn't hurt. care who lives, who doesn't care jail. who dies. It's the, it's the guy who set people up to go riot on January the 6th, and he's sitting around eating, getting fatter, flying around on jets, uh, going to country clubs, playing golf, while working class Americans who believed his lie, the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker of our time, who believed his lie, they're sitting in jail now because they believed his fascist lies. I'm starting to get to the point, because this is who we're dealing with. There's a person who just freaked out because they saw American flags and some group march in the 7076 project. It's not, it's go back to what we used to be. That's all it is. It's not a crime group. But, oh, I had flashbacks. I got PTSD. They have it so bad that we're, the media is intertwined and they can't see. Here's Nancy Pelosi. They bought a bunch of chip stock. They're, they're not going to press that. A girl on CNN lying about the right didn't vote for baby formula. It had nothing to do with what she said. It's already been disproven, but CNN didn't disprove it. And then the incessant use of money to literally get Republicans that they think are mega through the primaries. And now they're starting to realize, oh, that shit backfired. Keep an eye on as voters in Maryland choose their party's nominees for governor. The background on the Republican contest, it's mostly straightforward. Kelly Schultz is seen as a moderate, while Trump endorsed Dan Cox, who organized buses to take people to the Capitol on January 6th, is clearly the MAGA choice. So why has the Democratic Governors Association spent more than a million dollars in ads to elevate Cox, the MAGA guy, Trump's choice? The answer is they would say they're playing the long game. They see Cox as an easier general election opponent in Maryland and appear eager to help him get there. Politico Playbook notes this, quote, this isn't the first time a party has worked to choose its own opponent. And Maryland isn't the only state where Democrats have done it this year. They succeeded in boosting Trump-aligned Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania and Darren Bailey in Illinois. They are attempting it in Arizona right now with Carrie Lake. They tried unsuccessfully to do it in Colorado by giving an assist to two 2020 election deniers. It is also, I don't have to tell you, a strategy that carries significant risk. Think about it. If Dan Cox wins the nomination and then say he happens to pull off a win in the general, Democrats will have helped fund and elect a MAGA conservative to a governorship. Joining our conversation, Matt Dow, political strategist, founder of Country Over Party, also an MSNBC political contributor. Jason's still here. Um, 
Matt Dowd, you flagged this and this troubles you. This seems like another example of why it's a dangerous strategy. Well, it does trouble me, and I, and I have two reasons for it. First is just practical politics. I mean, I, I think anytime you take resources that could be used in a general election and orchestrate some kind of you know bank shot deal where you're going to elect somebody that you think is the possible weakest candidate doesn't always turn out well. One, you lose resources. You've expended resources. Two, that candidate is is has a potential uh, to win the race, a la 2016, when most everybody said Donald Trump was the weakest Republican that could get nominated and it would make Hillary's path to the White House easier. He became president of the United States. And so that's the one reason, sort of practical politics. The second one is a broader, I think, that if if everyone is in agreement that our democracy is at stake and that we all want a vibrant, sane Republican Party that believes in democracy and believes in the Constitution, why on earth, why on earth would we elevate candidates and try to diminish other candidates who are the sane ones and elevate the crazy ones in the midst of this environment that we're in today? And as you led into this, yeah, it does carry great risk, but we should actually be hopeful and supporting sane Republican candidates uh, who believe in elections, who support the Constitution and not the crazies. And so, one, it's just practical politics. I think it's a mistake. But just in a broader, you know, unity around democracy, we should be giving support and help to Republicans who can emerge from this, who believe in elections. <laughs> it's such a compelling argument. I, I'm dying to know, Jason Johnson, if you see it the same way or you think there's some... Um wisdom to having Democrats able, having their candidates able to make this stark contrast to MAGA candidates on the other side. Nicole, this was a cute idea maybe 10, 12 years ago. I mean, both parties did it, right? If you could find a nutcase on the other side, you, you, you put energy behind them, you put money behind them, you put endorsements behind them. That's when you didn't have to worry about a violent insurrection, right? I'm sorry. I don't really think there's good Republicans anymore because even the ones who say that they're in favor of democracy <laughs> are perfectly happy with working with the MAGA ones who are perfectly uh, you know, happy being a cover for terrorists. So the Democratic Party should never be funding a terrorist front. That's what this boils down to. If you give money to somebody who does not believe in the legitimacy of our elections, you are funding terrorists. You are funding insurrections. It's a bad idea. If those people get in, then it costs us a 22 and possibly 2024 presidential election. But here's the other problem with it. Nicole, how many times have we talked about candidates, minority candidates, women candidates, candidates who are struggling around the country, Senate and, and governor, everything else around the country, who are begging for money? Who can use additional money and resources? And it's being wasted on this three-dimensional chess nonsense game that some Democrat cooked up in the middle of a consulting meeting because they think they're going to outsmart everybody. So, yeah, I, I'm in agreement on this. I don't think it's good strategy for our current political environment. And one of these is going to end up biting the Democratic Party on the nose. I don't know which of these candidates. Maybe it's Kerry Lake. Maybe it's Cox. One of these people is going to end up winning. And everyone's going to be like, how did this happen? It's like, yeah, the blood's on your hands. Yeah, the, the moving of money, I mean, money is a finite amount of money that you can raise. And the idea that the Democratic Party, which is on the right side of all the questions about democracy and freedom right now, would be funding anyone who doesn't believe in those ideals is, is ominous. Um, I'm going to ask both of you to stick around. Up next for us, there's Brandon.
I, well, I understand it's not easy, but the Republicans are offering nothing. And when the Republicans have had the chance to vote on things in Congress, you know, they voted against importing baby formula. They voted against uh, stopping uh, oil companies from price gouging. They voted against capping the price of insulin. And now the president is on the cusp of getting a deal um, to lower prescription drug prices. That's something that both Democratic and Republican presidents have worked on for a while. If they can achieve that, that would be a big achievement. And uh, big savings for American families. I mean, just to push back a little bit on the baby formula thing, it's like the White House constantly wants credit for things like the largest airlift in history out of Afghanistan without without admitting that they caused a problem in the first place. The baby formula crisis is not something that the white, that Republicans ever came up with. This is something fully that they knew about and nobody told Joe Biden. Well, so the thing is that when you have that you have an entire administration, a cabinet, um, including somebody who used to work for people to judge. But let's just talk about on the baby formula front. You have the secretary of HHS. You have Susan Rice, the head of Domestic Policy Council. Yet nobody tells President Biden that it's happening. And then I don't think the Republicans can take any blame for that. And that's why I think, Liz, that the problems for the White House right now are coming from inside the House. They're coming from within the Democratic Party. The Republicans don't even have to do anything when the New York Times has big blaring headlines that say... President Biden is too old to run again for president. Well, That's not coming from Republicans. Well, right. Well, and the New York Times is a separate issue. But going back to the baby formula thing, we know that there is a massive concentration in, in that market. And that when a f uh, factory closed in Michigan, that it caused a massive problem in terms of distribution. So my question is this. So that closed. You can say maybe the administration didn't move fast enough. Maybe. Then why didn't Republicans vote with them to bring baby formula in? Because the only answer I can think of is that Republicans thought, hey, why don't we inflict as much misery on the American I people as so possible? Unfair. Well, on, then why? Okay, tell me this. What would be one possible reason to vote against importing baby formula? This is baby formula. We're talking. Yes, sir. I think we have to go now. One more, he said. Yes, sir. What are you saying? Uh, over the course of your career, has your husband ever made a stock purchase or sale based on information you received from him? No, absolutely not. Okay. Thank you. What would happen if a Republican spouse did that? I mean, we know the answer. It would be on like fucking Donkey Kong. They'd be, I mean, look at, they, that m chick from the South, whatever, am whatever can't remember her name right now. She's been taken off committees for tweets. Here you have the most powerful woman in Washington capitalizing on ship shortage stocks, knowing that we're going to do a bill to influx money into it. It is the definition of fucking insider trading. But they get away with it. It's all good in the hood. I mean, I I don't know how it can keep happening that one side can do whatever they want. And there's no judicial system to stop them. She's crooked as shit. Let alone Afghanistan. Allies still stuck in Afghanistan. Taliban killings. War columnist, uh, we just dropped that, just went the fuck away. We didn't talk about it anymore. 
They're still bitching about homeless shelter problems. The shooting in Minneapolis is still a big deal. They're still talking about it. They're not covering the port and shit. Doesn't make the fucking radar. A crew shot dead on Law and Order set in New York, New York City because of crime. That didn't make national news. Okay. Extreme climate activists smash windows. A Rupert Murdoch-owned newspaper group amid UK heat wave because somehow it's Fox News' fault. There's weather. And it's because his approval rating is just plummeting. There are some that have him at 29, the lowest ever. 29. They don't care. They're not going to cover the shit. It's not going to get out. We have to literally protect the old man. And it's fucking horse shit so let's do our tranny section really quick and then we're going to close on the most shocking video i've seen in some time and it might explain it's taken me now i'm starting to see improvement but six months to get healthy so here's our trans abuse our bruce hey blue look at all these families hi families it's time for a pride parade Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. I know I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for this, but I don't really care, who cares? We're doing uh, summer programming, and this year I vowed to make a really strong effort to figure out how my students want to be um, acknowledged uh, as far as their pronouns. So naturally I'm leading by example, right? I've got my name, she, her. That's how I identify. Easy, simple. So they know that they would call me Miss Kramer instead of, you know, Mr. or whatever, because you know, the hair, there's still stigma, whatever. On our first assignment, I asked them to put their preferred pronouns on their papers. And not one kid protested, not one kid. They were all, super comfortable and super down with it but look at this i'm covering their name but look at that i'm okay being called they them she her or he him they're totally down for that i can't help but feel like that kid now feels safe and comfortable being who they are pronouns in the workplace do you know what your coworker prefers well, joining me today is Heather Talamante, founder of Tell Us About Yourself, Inc. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Of course. Good to have you back. So yeah. first off, let's talk about DEI in the workplace, and that's better known as diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do we go about the discussion of pronouns? So essentially, the employee will reach out and say, hey, this is my preferred pronoun. This is how I would like to be addressed in the workplace how we go about it is by respecting their request right so you want to make sure when they say this is what i would like to be referred to um we address it and we we honor that and we 
moving forward use that term whether it's he she they them their whatever mm -hmm. they would like to use we want to make sure we honor that request and make them feel comfortable in the workplace is it appropriate for someone to ask what someone's preferred pronoun usages are you probably wouldn't want to ask that person would ask you okay so you know if you um, if they haven't fully made the decision on what pronoun they would like to use let them come around to that decision and then ask. Um, if they haven't asked yet, it's not safe to assume. We don't want to make any assumptions. Right. Yeah. So this is going to um, have make people be more patient or have to be patient. You do. You have to be patient. If you are the employee that is asking for a new preferred pronoun or a pronoun that's not necessarily natural for individuals yet, uh, just be patient as they learned to use the new pronoun or to address you by that pronoun. Um, also, if as you're learning to address an individual by a pronoun, you can always just use their first name. Mm -hmm. Can't go wrong with their first name, right? So Colton is over there. Right, right. Colton right. will be here soon. So you don't have to use a pronoun at all if you're not you know, familiar with it, if it feels unnatural. What if someone is refusing to use uh, someone's preferred pronouns? And this will happen. I will be very honest. In the workplace, this will happen. We have feelings about the pronoun. We don't agree with it. So we don't know why we have to use it. Uh, so it's important if you don't agree um, to still just use their first name. This isn't something that would rise to the occasion of getting written up if you refuse to use it, but this could rise to the occasion of bullying. That person may be repeatedly asking you, mm -hmm. this is how I would like to be referred. Um, please stop you know, calling me he when I would like to be called she. Um, and this person just refuses to do it and kind of has that like tone about it. So um, just manage it as you can. It, as the employee, if somebody's refusing, just reach out to your manager or HR and we'll kind of come in and help mediate the conversation and make it more comfortable for you, but always speak up. And how do you address a big group? A big group, you know, a lot. I say, "Hey guys," is uh -huh. my my terminology, and a lot of people do. Uh, so here's some suggestions. We can say, "Hey everyone," or "Everybody," "Hey friends," "Hey y'all," or "All y'all." If it's a big, large group, right? "Hey folks." Mm. Um, this tends to be gender neutral and addresses the group at large. And if you start practicing using these terminologies, it'll be more helpful because there could be a group that you're unfamiliar with. Right. that has someone that goes by a pronoun that you're not aware of yet. All right, well, thank you, Heather, for stopping by. We're gonna put this information on our website at kob.com. So my mom's transphobia actually almost got her in a lot of serious danger yesterday. I got a call from her around lunchtime and she was crying and she said that she was lost in the woods. She was walking her dog and she tripped on a rock and she fell and she said she couldn't move. She asked if I could come find her and get her and I said, yes, absolutely. But her phone was running out of battery, so she wasn't sure how she was going to get me to find her when I got there. Now, I found this all out afterwards, but apparently someone on the trail found her. So my mom asked them to wait at the entrance for her son and then direct me to her. But when I got there, the person apparently didn't know it was me, probably because I was dressed like this and looked like this. Now, thankfully, I was able to find her after some searching and both her and the dog were okay. But it shows you how transphobia can be dangerous. And you bet your ass I'm gonna use this example when it comes time to tell her about my name change. Look, at this point, we don't need to talk about whether or not an unwanted parasite in the womb of a female is considered a baby or not. It's irrelevant. Let's talk about Darwinism, you know? Survival of the fittest. I'm not gonna be the one to disprove this theory, right? So if I get knocked up and like, I don't want it, 
boom, Darwinism, you're gone. I'm the strongest, survival, <laughs> take that beach. It's just called tough love. Part three of the genders that I made specifically for systems. This is plural fawn, which is the same as plural gender slash plural fluid. So again, go back, watch that video. Um, except in the same way that there's gender fluid, gender fay, and gender fawn. Uh, plural fawn is mask leaning, which in the context of systems would mean that there are little to no um, female or feminine gender leaning alters in the system. This is the flag with meanings, being a system, dissociation, identity separation, collectively having similar genders, masculine genders and alters with masculine genders, genders that are between slash a mix of masculine and neutral genders and alters with those genders, and neutral genders slash alters with neutral genders. Once again, just kind of go back and watch the other two videos I made to get more context, but, you know, here's here's the flag. Um, yeah, gender for um, systems that have little to no female or feminine leaning alters. So, mask and neutral specification. That That's it. Yay! Okay, so it took a couple of days for me to make this TikTok um, without crying, because that's what I do. Um, please ignore the dog bone crunching behind me. Anyhow, um, one of my students uh, felt safe enough to share his pronouns with me. And when he did so, once the class knew that I knew, they all switched pronouns. They're second graders. Like, I'm torn between being really, really happy to be a safe space and just absolutely furious that an entire group of second graders has to keep this secret from not safe people. Why are kids feeling unsafe? And furthermore, why does everyone talk about how, how are the kids going to understand? The kids fucking understand it. It's easy for them. It's the adults who have all of the frigging issues and hang-ups and bullshit. Kids are fine. I've been wanting to do content around this day, which is really important to me as this is my first year as I'm out as a non-binary teacher. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to think how to talk about it and how to make it pithy and catchy. And I, I sent what felt like a pretty vulnerable email out to my colleagues suggesting a whole bunch of resources for each division and offering to come into their classes. And I'm so grateful to the three allies or accomplices who invited me into their class today to read. I just read They, She, He, Me, Free to Be um, to a grade one class and uh, I just read this book to a grade one class and one of the students came out as trans. Um, staff knew she was trans and we talked to her parents last night about me coming in uh, and they'd given it the go ahead and uh, it was such beautiful proof that kids of any age are absolutely capable of accepting anything that they are taught with love because her class didn't bat an eyelid. Um, didn't bat an eyelid at me not being a man, woman, both or neither. Um, 
didn't bat an eyelid at her having been born a boy and was were able to make all kinds of beautiful personal connections. So please, no matter what age your kids are or what age you teach, it is so important that you teach them that trans people are valuable. Hey friends, I'm back after another class still with my lovely N95 redness and I just wanted to say it's been such a powerful day. I had another student come see me and make a plan to come out to his class because she hadn't felt confident doing that yet. And so that was really exciting to see that happen and to be able to facilitate that. And the SB goes to Yeah, those seem like really nice people. School district brought a drag queen to speak to students about mathematicians and drag. Really? That that that's nice. Sesame Street workshop to provide bias training of alleged racist incident at Sesame Street Place goes viral and it was an animal walking up to two little black girls and he walked away. Yeah, that's nice. Trans-identified male arrested after manipulating minors and sexual abuse. And this goes back to trans story hour stuff. Like, story hours. That, that person was allowed to be around a lot of kids. But the most jarring thing is the definition of girl change to people who identify. Now we're changing the fucking dictionary again they literally the national women's history museum has dudes on it and they're featuring dudes that think they're women michigan school employee called for lgbt lessons mock parents was a pedo getting a lot of those lately a lot of pedos Middle school teacher, once again, going around policy and doing pronoun boards. That's nice. The Groomer Trevor Project is under investigation because they have little ones as part of their group. People who think they're little kids. That's a group they're giving money to, which means they probably touch other kids. Yeah. Chappelle concert was canceled because people didn't like his shtick. This is Seattle Public Schools, which once again have, uh, they don't raise the American flag, but they raise the LGBT flag, which is super nice. Nina Turner was one of Harris's people. Credit scores are a scam designed to keep people in poverty. That's the regulations they're doing. That's why we'll have a housing bubble again. It's just a matter of fucking time. Media Matters says Twitter should follow Reddit's lead and ban anti-groomer. They really don't like groomer. 
Using groomer is bad now. You can't say groomer. Biden-Harris says they've solved actually no problems. This is their new thing. New York City mayor joins another Dems complaining about illegal immigrants. Are we covering that? Nope. Inbox. Biden-Harris administration launches effort to create more affordable and equitable outdoor recreation opportunities. But I thought you said outdoor recreation was white supremacist. That's what all the stories said. White supremacy. That's who we're dealing with. These are the people. They don't like the flag. The flag makes them sick. So, going to do This is America really quick. Don't do it a whole lot. And then a lighter fare will close this pig. Here's just a few crime things. And then the video that shocked me to my core. Oh, and before I move on, that last video in our trans bump was the girl who renounced her citizen and skied for China. That's who ESPN said was the woman or the athlete of the year. Yeah, even ESPN hates America. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. what I have to deal with every day. I repaint the building, come in next day, you get all this graffiti, and guess what? I get fucking tagged by the city of San Francisco tell me to clean this up right away, otherwise they're getting me a ticket, and I'm gonna repaint it, and guess what can happen? I get a fucking graffiti again next day, every single time. So what the fuck they want me to do? So this is a precision tool that now allows uh, us to take this protein RNA complex and introduce it into cells or tissues to correct mutations at sites where we know there's a deleterious change in the genetic code. So I wanted to show you an example of how this can be utilized. This um, protein complex can actually be injected directly into fertilized eggs of a mouse. And in the experiment, you'll see we're targeting a gene that is responsible for the black coat color in mice. And so normally, these mice have beautiful, glossy black coats. And once we make this targeted change, we then implant these edited eggs back into a, a female mouse. And when she gives birth to pups, you'll see that the pups are now mostly white. And the remarkable thing about this experiment is that when these mouse mice grow up, you can test them and show that every cell in the body has this 
single genetic change that gives rise to the white coat color, but otherwise they're absolutely normal. So they are normal mice, no mutations elsewhere in the genome. This is a type of experiment that used to take a, at least a year to create a, a mouse like this, and now it can be done in a few weeks um, and by people that don't have to have special expertise. So this is a, a technology has over the, it's been very exciting over the last two and a half years to see this technology taking off. These are publications in the scientific literature. It's been sort of exponential growth of publications, people using this technology for all sorts of applications. And so uh, some of these include making changes, in, uh, targeted genetic changes in plants, in uh, fungi, in uh, animals that are important agriculturally, in animals that are important to us as pets, um, and also for, in thinking about human health, also uh, to do things like make changes in stem cells, which are cells that can give rise to new organs. Uh, also to make changes in animals that are important as uh, models of human disease, such as mice and monkeys. And we think within the not too distant future, it will be possible to actually use this technology to make changes in humans. The crime is out of control. I mean, I could play a whole fucking podcast of people getting the fucking beat down. It's, um, it's disturbing, to say the least. But that MRN thing, you know, uh, not a tinfoil hatter. But I've said it on the show, ever since I got that shot, my digestive system has been totally fucking different. And it's taken me this long to get over fucking COVID or an allergic reaction or we don't even fucking know what is wrong with me. But when you break it down, if it can change the way mouse, mouse, mice reproduce, what does that say that could do to humans? We played it on the show. You can give people shots to make them stop smoking, drinking. I know nobody who got Pfizer who says they didn't have some kind of side effect. Something was off with them. And both me and my wife were affected by it in a way that we're not the same. So here's our lighter fare, and then we're going to do a closing point uh, with some poll data, and that should close us out for today. From the creator of Bull Durham and White Men Can't Jump. The club head was waggle the club. Comes a story. Oh! That's a pretty girl, is such an ugly swing. About men and women and the games they play. Remember, this game's about trust, touch, and letting go. Hi, darling. Hi, honey. Oh, no, not, not him. You got it bad, huh? <laughs> Something about that chick. I, uh, take it you're a feminist. No one's ever saddled me with that one. Well, you might try being saddled sometime. Smell of leather, sting of a whip. Yes! She must think I'm such a loser, lousy driving range pro. Local legend Roy Tin Cup McAvoy. 
the best player to never hit the big time. It's an easy game, this golf. Wasn't going anywhere. Oh. It's gotta be the woman. I thought you said it was a virus. Well, a woman can have the same effect. But ever since Dr. Molly Griswold got inside his head... I think I'm in love with you. What? He's been changing his whole approach. From the moment I first saw you, I knew I was through with bar girls and strippers and motorcycle chicks and... Stunned, huh? Tell me you're not at least moderately attracted to me. You have moments, Roy. Yeah, well, you tell me which ones are my moments, and I'll try and duplicate them. Just thinking about how to get in your heart. Come on, you guys! You're all nuts. But Biden came out as a really sleepy, sweet grandpa, and he was like, he's always repeating this story, you know, yeah, well, I went to Scranton, Scranton, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. My dad, my dad lost his job. No joke, I'm not kidding around here. No, no human being in the world thinks that's a joke. Nobody. Is anybody who lost his job? And then, you know, my dad, like, then he would do the number thing. Number one, the one part. Number two, what the guy said. Number three, you know the drill. Come on. No, we don't. So, yeah. Now what he does is he kind of whispers and then he yells. If you know, I think it's a wonderful move. Don't you love it when he's like, we know how to get natural gas. Because we can get it. We know how to get it. That's what we do. We gave the people that buy the public, the private, the Pirates of the Caribbean! First and foremost, I did a Tin Cup there, which I forgot to talk about. And Tin Cup is one of my favorite movies. I've never been to a Waffle House, so I saw Tin Cup. But if you've never watched the movie, it's very funny. I'm not a golf guy, but it's just a cute movie, and I just fucking love it. And Dana Carvey, I am so surprised Kimmel Show let him do it. But if you watch both nights he hosted, he was on fire with a little Biden bashing, which I enjoyed. So here is his job approval, 31%. Independents approve, 23%. Hispanics, 19 Yada, 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 fucking yada. And this is why the media is going in overdrive, because it's not just liberal whites or white educated the the uh todd chuck todd shit the educated white voters are so smart so they vote democrat the uneducated conservative voters are morons so that's why they vote for uh, trump and shit but they're backing it they're not backing democrats they're done they backed them they promised them fucking sunshines and fucking free candy and nothing happened And they literally just lived through a president who's going to put them back in chains. And the economy was better. Unemployment rate for African-Americans, women, Latinos was the lowest it had ever been. Do I think Trump had anything to do with it? No. I mean, solely, but um, it's how you govern if you govern with less regulation, let people do their thing, you get better results than when you're regulating the shit out of it. And their answer to everything right now is regulation. Well, we can't pass it, so we're going to regulate the GND. 
Iowa poll. That's not good. I mean, for Democrats, that's just not good. That's where you start this shithole or this shindig. So what happened? Well, instantly, the Chuck Todd outfit bringing out Tudor Dixon. What kind of fuck? Or Dante Ochimini. Where do they find these people? Probably polls don't mean shit. All of a sudden, they don't mean anything. But then there was another poll that showed everybody who's watching MSNBC thinks their side is losing. They're the people pushing Biden to go Cujo on everything. They're the reason. So take that with a grain of salt. Because it's clearly obvious from here until November, we are going to see a shitload of fucking tomfoolery. So there was one I missed. I wanted to see how it was going to go. And it is going very badly online for liberals. So here is Bill Burr on abortion. Because I don't like people telling me what to do. And I was just like, it's your body. Who the fuck am I to tell you what to do with your body? So that always made sense. All right. However, I still think you're killing a baby. See? That's where it gets weird. Like, I sit on the fence and the whole thing makes sense to me. Without anybody saying, like, don't tell you what to do. It's my body, my choice. That's right, man. She's right. Leave her the hell alone. Why are you killing a baby? Well, I mean, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we're going to be honest, that is the whole purpose of the procedure. You know, you're not going in there because you got an earache. You're going in there because you're like, I got a baby in me, get the fuck out of here! Right? You walk in with a baby, you come out without one. What happened to the baby, right? Something fucking happened. So, pro-choice people are like, well, it's not a life yet. It's not a baby yet. If you do, I don't know what they say. What are you doing the first Thursday or the last Tuesday? You can spin around all the time. They dance between the rain trucks. It's not a baby yet. That's what they say. Which... May or may not be true. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But I'll tell you, my gut tells me that doesn't make sense. It's not a baby yet. That would be like if I was making a cake and I poured some batter in a pan and I put it in the oven and then five minutes later you came by and you grabbed the pan and you threw it across the floor. And I went, what the fuck? You just ruined my birthday cake. And then you were like, well, that wasn't a cake yet. It's like, well, it would have been. You didn't do what you just did. There would have been a cake in 50 minutes. Something happened to that cake, you cake murderer, son of a bitch. Yeah, pretty much sums it up pretty good, doesn't it? I think it goes back to what uh, Ben Shapiro always says. Once they have to start explaining it, they lose all their ground. When it just stays on my body, my choice, and the media parrots it, they're in the clear. But when you start trying to justify why you need to codify road a full term abortion it just falls the fuck apart but you look at it for all the left really wants to do and once again i'm not a republican i'm just saying you guys push all these theories from abortion to three-year-olds picking their own fucking gender but they can't buy guns till they're 45 to green energy that we don't have but we need to have so we're just going to do it the world's going to end there's no uh, 
man's killing the planet, yet there's data that shows that the planet was hotter back in 36. And I mean, there's just... Nothing you say actually is grounded on any kind of facts. It's all on gut emotion and your agenda. And you strap it to it. And it's all attached to fear. Conservatives did it with terrorists for a while. Now the left is strapping it all to fear. If you don't have full till birth, you know, fucking abortion, women are going to die. If you don't all buy green cars, we're all going to die. Words are violence. I mean, it's just this fear mongering. And their base eats it because they've gotten them so scared of everything. Then most of them do believe we should 100% go to a mass mandate. We should not be able to vote in person. I mean, all this stuff, they, they, it's all focus grouped. I mean, this is where they're getting it. They're not, you know, some of it's pulled out of their ass, but a lot of it, you know, they talk to these far left groups and all that dark money. And man, they believe this stuff. They believe it's the end of days and the end of days are nigh. And if we don't get our fucking heads out of our ass, the planet's going to explode. And it's just so far fetched, so fucking over the top that you, you go, come on, man. Why, why would you buy this? If you were paying attention your whole life, they've always said the world's going to end. They said it during nuclear war and the Cold War, where they they rooted for the other side. They've said it for global cooling, global warming, climate change. It's just one long goat fuck after another, and you stare at it and go, come on, man. How can you be this naive? But the hope is in the African-Americans. The hope are in the Latino where they're starting to look. These people are full of shit. They really don't care about minorities. They just use them as fucking tools to silence opposition so they don't have to justify their policies. And if you really look at the last two years, they've been in charge of everything. What have they actually done? Freebies. It's all freebie. They haven't fixed anything. The economy is getting worse. They're not helping. Gas is still $4 a gallon. And now experts, because we're supposed to listen to the experts, it won't be going down to $3 a gallon anytime soon. And that impact on people is huge. It's just huge. I filled up the car the other day with 60 fucking bucks. That was three quarters of a tank of gas. 15 gallons. I don't even drive that much. I drive four miles a day. Or five. No round trip would be ten. Ten miles to go do my walk. We, we got to be better than this as a country. And it comes back to common sense policies. Not the far left, not the far right, common sense. And if we can get back to that, we can get back on track. But it starts with the media, as always, telling the truth. And when you're running the January 6th, now they're going to run more in September, trying to drag this out, keep it in the news. Everybody sees that. Nobody's watching it. 
I mean, uh, let's do a quick check because I'm short on time. So I, we got time to fuck off. Uh, July 21st, Jan 6 hearing ratings. Let's see. ABC led. What the fuck is this? I don't. No. That's weird. I had some hearing aid. TV line. Three point six million viewers. Eight million people watched it on the big three. Eight million. That's nothing. But it's written up as it'll be, oh, people are still interested. Eight million people. And they were all liberals. Because they eat that shit with a spoon because they see American flags and they get scared. That's what their focus is. Not gas prices, not fucking what it costs you to get a gallon of milk now compared to what it was two years ago. It's all kabuki theater trying to influence people to be scared and vote Dem because those mean, mean Republicans will take over. And unfortunately, Republicans have no message. So simultaneously, they should have some kind of message other than we're not going to be them. But what we've allowed over the last two cycles, well, really, since since Obama got in office, we're not going to be those guys. You either don't want to vote for those guys or you don't want to vote for those guys. Neither side has a plan. They just have, we're not going to be them. I mean, Trump didn't get in office because Trump was the guy people wanted. He got in office because they didn't want Hillary, which was just four more years of Obama. Then you get Biden because people don't want four more years of Trump. And now we're in this shithole where most likely Trump's going to run with DeSantis is the rumor. And then DeSantis becomes president. against Biden or Hillary. We're a country of 360 million. If you count all the illegals, probably 390 million, 400 million fucking people. And that's the fucking best we can get. And the reason is, is because we don't have a media that plays it fair. They fortify the election and they crucify one person. So who wants to go through that? Who wants to actually run for president and have them go back and find out you had a dog on your roof? In a garage elevator. Who wants that? I mean, they're attacking DeSantis so hard in the fear that he's going to run. Because they know he has appeal. To normals. So from this little bunker in an undisclosed location, I hope it's just him. I hope it's not Trump. 
Trump had his time. Now it's time to move on. We have a younger guy who's a little more sane, but still going to fucking push back on the media. And that's what we need. That's just what we need. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Share those with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com where you can find links to everything. Sure, you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Stay cool. It's hot as balls. I was going to do a five-miler today. I ended up doing like three and a half and quit. It was so fucking hot. I mean, I didn't get out there till 6.30. And I think it was 70. By the time I got back to the car, less than an hour later, it was already in the 80s. So, I mean, it's just miserable. So, get your animals in. Give them water. Y'all take care. We're going to shoot for uh, July 27th. But it'll probably be the 26th because I'll get bored and want to do it. Or we'll get some good news. So, thanks for listening, everybody. And you take care.